Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hey, everybody. I'm Susanna Mars. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm sitting here today with George Manahan and Katrina Galka. George Manahan is Portland Opera's music director. He made his debut with the company conducting Verity's Macbeth in 2006 and was appointed music director in 2012. Since then, he has conducted nearly 20 operas with the company, including La Boheme, The Italian Girl in Algiers, The Magic Flute, Carmen and Lucia de Lamamour, and Sweeney Todd, which I have to mention because that was where we worked together. Yes. <laughs> uh, in addition to his work with the Portland Opera, George serves as the music director of American Composers Orchestra, and he's conducted for many of the world's leading opera companies and symphonies, including New York City Opera, Lyric Opera of Chicago, National Opera of Paris, San Francisco Opera, and the Orchestra of St. Luke's. And Soprano Katrina Galka is returning to Portland Opera, making her role debut in Rigoletto. She made her debut with Portland Opera in 2014 as a member of the Resident Artist Program and has sung numerous roles with the company, including Adina in L'Elysir d'Amour, Joanna in Sweeney Todd, Papagena in Die Zabberflotte, and Ida in Die Fledermaus. <laughs> yes. Corrections gratefully uh, accepted. Yeah. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> this season, she's performed in the roles of Rosina in Il Barbier de Sevilla, Vugelinda in Das Rheingold, and Cunegonde in Candide with Arizona Opera. <laughs> Um, and I just wanted to welcome both of you. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, thanks for happy, having us. We yeah. are happy to be here. I have to gush for a minute, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind. Not a bit. Uh, I didn't realize it's almost 20 operas I've done here. Uh, yes. But one of my favorite favorites was when we did Sweeney Todd together. Oh. And Katrina was in I it I was in well. it too. Yes. Yeah, it was fantastic. Because oh, your Mrs. Lovett was oh. just amazing. Oh, George, I <laughs> so appreciate that. It was an incredible experience and both of you were pivotal in it uh, for the joy I had during it. Uh, it was David Pitzinger. <laughs> yes. His, his Remarkable. First right? yeah. mm-hmm. um, I have now worked with Katrina uh, four or five times, I yeah. guess, in, in the shows. And... Um, she has such a gift for comedy, oh, which no. is uh, amazing because an Italian girl and in Flatermouse too. Mm. I mean, I think when she was on stage, she tended to steal the show. Oh, uh, but thank you. also uh, the tragedy. Mm. Uh, first of all, as um, Joanna mm-hmm. in Sweeney Todd, mm. and now one of the great heroines in Femme Fatale, Gilda in. Uh, uh, it's, this is her first, and she's she'll break your heart. Oh, <laughs> I, well, thank you. That's really nice to hear. <laughs> I love doing the comedies, actually. Mm. It, you know, finding that just the right timing and all of those moments, and uh, that's what I really love. But then I don't get to do a lot of the tragedy. So this has been a treat, yeah, because of my voice type. And so this has been a treat to get to explore that side of things. I really like it. Speak a little bit about that, your vocal type and how it, Put you into certain roles, mm-hmm. comedy versus tragic. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. I'm a definitely a light soprano. Um, I I sing coloratura, so I guess I could say I'm a light lyric coloratura soprano. Um, <laughs> it's like a big, mm-hmm. big title there. Um, so I'll sing things, a lot of comic roles, a lot of things that require um, a lot of lightness in terms of the acting and the character. And uh, they're usually very young and high-spirited. And so that usually yields to 
a lot of comedy, mm -hmm. which I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But it's nice when people start hearing a little more of the lyric side of things and they, they let you take on, you know, I'm really grateful that Portland Opera is having me and is, is letting me take on a role like Gilda because it's a dream role for me. Mm. Um, it was one of the, the, the reasons that I actually became an opera singer I was sitting in the car, and I this was between my first semester and my second semester of college, and I was a theater major, actually, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and um, I, I knew I wanted to sing, but I didn't know, you know, musical theater, or what should I do, and I'm sitting in the car, and I actually heard Caro Nome, which is Gilda's famous aria from Act One. I, I heard it on the radio, and I think it was Joan Sutherland singing it, and I just thought, I want to do that. Mm. I mean, who knew at that point if I would have ever been able to, but I just heard it, and, you know, it spoke to me. So mm. it's great that I get this, I get to do this. One of the challenges of the role of Gilda is that the, the voice has to be able to spin up so lightly in caronome because there's a, a cadenza that goes up to a high B natural or maybe a D sharp if you... Yeah, if you take that high D. And yet in the third act... It, uh, there's a, in the storm scene, you have to have power as mm. well. Uh, and a lot of sopranos don't have both. But uh, Katrina's voice, the higher it gets, the, uh, the bigger it gets. To, it is so phone, supple is. and magnificent. Mm. I listened to your Joanna, just tears. The flexibility and beauty and depth, oh, it just yeah. a, a voice, oh. your voice just stuns me. Oh, thank we you. Were at You're lunch. welcome. We were at lunch the other day between rehearsals, and we happened to run into each other, so we had lunch yeah. together, and mm. we found out that we have a job. We have another job, yeah. Together in the, <laughs> oh. coming up this fall. We're uh -huh. going to be in uh, San Jose. Yeah, doing uh, abduction from the Sorelio. Right, which is a very early Mozart comedy mm -hmm. with dialogue yeah. mm. as well. And your bludgeon. Yeah. Which is an extremely high oh. acrobatic act. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because just meeting you way back when we did Sweeney, you know, you're not a quintessential, I, no one can see you right now, opera singer. And the world of opera is transforming Mm -hmm. I think very rapidly and uh, really encouraging singers to be actors, to be uh, very, uh, have a lot of options at their fingertips in terms of performance and vocal ability. And I wondered, in terms of your endurance mm -hmm. and in terms of your you know, overarching career and each role, of course, having various demands, yeah. what do you do in your daily regimen that helps you with that endurance and that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because one one reason why I thought actually, why I came later to opera, I think, was because I didn't think I could be an opera singer mm -hmm. because I've always been a little bit smaller and I had a very light, very light voice to start. Um, so I thought, I, this isn't for me. I'm, I don't have a big voice. I'm not a big person. Um, and I finally had a teacher in college that said, you know, there actually are all of these roles that you can do. It's not just Wagner and, you know, heavy, late Verdi kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, so that was really empowering. But uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I do try to stay fit. I do think even um, in this production, at the end of Caronome, which is the, the last thing that Gilda sings, and act one for Gilda is definitely, it requires a lot of stamina. You have to sing two very intense duets, and then you have this very difficult aria. Mm. Um, and then it ends in such a way that requires a lot of um, elegance, and it, it's, a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult sing. Mm -hmm. And we have it staged that I'm walking up the stairs, and you wouldn't really think that walking upstairs would be difficult, but after all of that, mm -hmm. it really becomes hard 
for the breath to kind of like keep on top of it. Mm-hmm. So I do try to, um, I try to exercise as frequently as I can. I just started getting into more, um, body weight exercises and, mm-hmm. um, interval training type things. A couple years ago, I was doing triathlons and all kinds of crazy cardio. That wasn't always so sustainable, but I do love it. Right. I was watching the Boston Marathon. And in fact, Celia and I talked about this a while back about the comparisons between athletes, endurance athletes and opera singers. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fascinating. I think she understates it. I think she's a fanatic for oh for work. exercise. Yeah. At least I remember during Sweeney, you were always comparing was, notes yeah. with someone in the cast. Yeah, the Beatle. We had done the Insanity program. Uh huh. Um, which you know, I really liked it. Actually, I felt like I was getting a great, great workout. But I've been told by some voice teachers maybe it would be better if you take it easy and do some yoga and swimming instead. <laughs> right. Well, and as a, a member of the resident artist program, I know at Portland Opera they are encouraging myriad types of exercise, including yoga and mm-hmm. Alexander technique and all the various techniques that help singers make sound and yes. remain mm-hmm. flexible. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's exciting. How do you keep your arms going, George? Um, well, I've been a runner all of my life. I figure since I make a living waving my arms, the upper half, if I run, at least I work the lower half. I wish the... you could see George uh, put his arms up because it's very elegant. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I, I don't um, skate or mm-hmm. ski or mm-hmm. anything. Being a southern boy originally, I, it just wasn't there weren't there wasn't snow and mountains. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to take it up. But I thought, you know. It's too late. And if, if I break my arm, you know, if I don't wave my arms, they don't pay me. That's right. So uh, there's just, yeah, tennis. <laughs> you know, that's tennis right. and running. That's mm-hmm. I keep it to that. So tell us the story of Rigoletto and the highlights and the things that you're really looking forward to. Um, well, I'll tell you that it I, I probably it sounds like I probably say this every time, but Rigoletto is one of my favorite operas of all time by, by Verdi. It's from his middle period, but I think there are only a handful of operas in the repertory that are considered perfect. Mm. Uh, I mean, like Don Giovanni by Mozart is a great opera, and he's cutting new, he's pushing the envelope and going into theatrical uh, devices that are, but it's not a perfect opera. There's a few, the story is a little uh, um, uneven in places, but Rigoletto is one that the the characters are all three-dimensional. The the plot is airtight. Mm. You follow it. And, And the speed of which the action takes place is amazing. The first act is only 15 minutes long. And in that act, you get the exposition of what's going on, who's who, what the intrigue is going on, and it all happens on what I call a real-life time. Mm. If uh, Verdi has set it all to music, but if you just said that dialogue, it's set on real-life time. You could speak that dialogue in a, as a play, mm. and it would be at the same speed. Mm. So it's a miracle of, of compositional technique. And... Um, I don't like to give too much of the story away because I want people to come and actually follow the drama. Mm-hmm. And it's based on Victor Hugo's uh, play, Le Roi Am- S'amuse. S'amuse. Yeah. yeah, the king amuses and having himself. having fun or, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, the, I read the play 20 years ago, so I don't know if it's ever produced, but uh, it's interesting. The, 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 uh, the opera by Verdi is certainly brutal and violent, but mm-hmm. the play, I understand, was really over the top. Oh, interesting. Yes, I think actually uh, Rigoletto actually kills his daughter. 
I think he beats her in while she's in the ba- oh my sack. goodness yeah wow that's okay. not in the uh, uh that doesn't happen in the opera huh. but uh it's pretty 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 yeah. brutal but uh I would say the other reason that uh besides the the airtight plot and all the character development some of the most famous and beautiful melodies that Verdi ever wrote are mm-hmm. in this opera caro nome mm-hmm. being one uh the duke has two arias questa and um Another one that every time one hears it, La Donna Immobile. Mm. Uh, in fact, there's kind of a joke that uh, the director, Chris Metagliano, says that no matter what audience you're at, when when the intro to that starts, everyone looks at each other and smiles. Aww. Oh, yeah, that that tune. <laughs> that is actually this. true because yes. I had just brought, I had just gone to Rigoletto at the um, Lyric Opera of Chicago when it was playing this uh, last fall, mm-hmm. and I went with someone that had never seen it before, and as soon as that started... He turned and looked at me and he said, I know this one. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> right. There's something so wonderful about familiarity. Yeah. Helps that, people find their footing. And that particular tune has showed up in car commercials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just in the uh, culture. So mm, it, that's it's that famous. So what did you think of the production when you saw it and you, you're going and you're knowing you're going to play this role? Yeah, it was great. Mm. Um, the, the woman that sang it was just stunning and beautiful. She'll be singing it at the Met this, uh, I think, next season. I, th- mm. I think her name is Rosa Feola. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, yeah, I mean, world-class singers, mm. beautiful music. Um, it, it, was a, it was a great production. They did a really good job. I would say this production we're doing, we're producing here in Portland is also a traditional production. Mm-hmm. The costumes yeah. are from period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, um, in fact, uh, our tenor, Barry Banks, mm-hmm. who sings the Duke, uh, has done the role many times. And he mentioned to me the other day, he's, it's, I'm so happy to be doing a traditional production because he's done a lot of concept right. productions in Europe. And uh, this one where he, you know, actually looks the part and he has the the uh, Van Dyke that uh, you sort of the traditional way that mm-hmm. the, the Duke would look in this. Mm-hmm. So I, the audience is certainly uh, will be pleased. Hmm. Well, you've worked all over the world and then you come back here to Portland and we're so lucky to have you here. And yet that relationship that you have with Christopher Mataliano is really remarkable. It's a long relationship. Yes. yes we've known each other over 30 years. Mm-hmm. We support each other artistically and Yeah, personally. we've been colleagues and friends um, since the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, briefly, uh, when I worked in uh, Omaha, mm-hmm. Opera Omaha, I was uh, I hired him to be the stage director. Oh. And that was the first time we worked together. Madam Butterfly was oh, what we were doing. Uh, but many, many things since, of course, here and in Minnesota and New York City Opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been such a joy for me to come here to spend three months of the year here mm-hmm. in Portland uh, and spend the rest in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm in two great towns with food. Right, and <laughs> I, we were just talking time. about yes, that. We always discuss restaurants when yes. we get together. Yes, there's so many good ones. And then you also, having lived here, Yes. so what do you love about coming back to Portland? Oh, my gosh. Well, today I got to see my favorite thing in Portland, which is when you can see Mount Hood and oh, you're coming over the bridge. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, it, that just made my day. And then you mm. could also see Mount St. Helens, and mm. it was 
that's my favorite thing about Portland, mm. actually. And then I love biking around mm-hmm. the city, so I just picked up my bike. Uh, we just, did yesterday as yeah, well. Got, they said yeah. you had come in. Yeah, I just picked it up, and I got back on the bike, and I just remembered, you know, this is why I love the city, because mm. you can smell everything. You can just feel, there's just a feeling in the air, you know, that rain, that rainy feeling. But it's just beautiful and fresh. Mm-hmm. And oh, the cherry blossoms on the oh Esplanade right now. Oh, yes. my gosh, they're just gorgeous. Yeah. Hmm. And then some good restaurants, I guess. Right. A few. (laughs) Right, just a few. Do you have any recommendations? Do I have any recommendations? Well, I love Le Petit Oiseau, but it isn't. Little Bird. So, yeah, Yeah. Little Bird I love. And then I believe the chef from Little Bird and, and Le Pigeon... Just opened another restaurant now. I can't recall the name of it. So they're in the Pearl up. area. Yeah, the uh, Little Bird is right near the Big Pink, and Le Pigeon is on the east side. Uh huh. So I like okay. those. Well, my wife and I will be going. I love <laughs> Bokey Bowl, which is right by the Opera. Yes. And Bunk Sandwich Bar right there. Oh, yeah. oh and Clark Lewis is Clark right Lewis there. is a favorite of mine. Yes, yes. I love and then, Clark Lewis too. Yeah. I mean, now I'm going to go. But uh, across <laughs> that bridge, across the Tillicum Bridge, which I love zipping across uh, Elephant's Deli, you know, to yeah. pick up stuff and people watch and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those golly, if I really thought about it, we could go on. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to ask you about why is this role your debut and, and how people categorize roles in opera? Because going from a resident artist where you perform many roles, but those don't count, quote unquote, as a debut or... Well, How would you say? This is my debut in this role, but mm-hmm. but not with the company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've never done this role before. Opera has a lot of very specific um, categories in terms of what each voice can do. Mm-hmm. Although I think, interestingly, it's even though we try to categorize voices, there are so many that don't necessarily fit into those. It's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the German system um, over in Europe created created this thing called the Fox system to mm-hmm. categorize voices to really save singers mm-hmm. because they hire a singer for a contract to work there for, for a whole year or multiple years. Mm-hmm. And let's say you have a baritone and they're supposed to sing everything in the baritone rep, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so by saying that, you know, these are the baritone roles, you're protecting them from having to sing a bass baritone role or something that maybe wouldn't be as comfortable. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, but, you know, not every voice always fits so clearly into those categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I've found, you know, especially starting out and being a young soprano, you'll sing a lot of smaller roles or roles that are typically considered maybe soubrette roles. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, define that if you don't mind. Yeah, a soubrette role would be... A light, it would be a light voice. They often play the, a maid character, mm. very young. They have to have the ability to be usually a strong actress, mm-hmm. a lot of comedic roles. Like Papagena. Yeah, like Papagena is perfect, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of times, soubrettes don't necessarily have to have um, access to um, their super high extension. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what they sing would be more in their middle voice, um, and there's a lot of wordiness to it, I would say. Mm, good articulation. Uh, discussing uh, voice categories, it's something that Verdi did, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> that he changed uh, opera in one dramatic way, and it's about uh, uh, the baritone voice. <laughs> the earlier operas, say, of Mozart, 
uh, they were sort of bass baritones. In other words, the same singer could maybe sing Figaro as well as the Count mm-hmm. uh, or Don Giovanni and Leporello. But what Verdi did was with his baritone characters, he pushed the range up. Mm. He separated the basses from the baritones, like the role of Rigoletto or Ford or Falstaff. Mm. Those are higher. Mm. And uh, um, Germain in Traviata. Uh, and the, the men singers at the time didn't like that because they liked it when they had more options. But he actually separated those two categories, baritone and bass, mm. oh, with his repertory. Yeah, Sounds almost more dramatic in the, the ranges being more extreme. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes, the baritones go up higher mm-hmm. and he has the basses go much lower. Mm. The Grand Inquisitor, but where they, they start. Right. Oh, Sparafucile oh. in, in yeah. this opera mm. has low Fs mm. that uh, he accentuates the low register, whereas Rigoletto, he's pushing him up to high A flats mm. and things like that. And I that. think so. yeah, even for Gilda, it's the reason why the role is so challenging is because in many ways it's written for a full lyric, mm-hmm. but then somebody that has a really high extension and the ability to sing like a coloratura can sing in the, in the upper part of their range. And Optional. So, yeah, it, some of it is optional. And <laughs> I'd forgotten, when, except when Katrina brought it up about the German system, how mm. they're very strict about that. They, yeah. they categorize you and you have to stick to that repertory. Mm. Whereas in this country, people are more open to crossing over mm-hmm. and uh, experimenting. With. Yeah. Well, speaking of experimenting, I have a couple funny questions to ask you guys. Uh, the first <laughs> one, well, this one isn't really funny, just more personal. What do you find most hopeful about these times? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I see hope in the fact that people are opening up and having discussions about a lot of things that haven't haven't maybe been been talked about for a while. So mm-hmm. that that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. That's uh, touching on that. It's interesting in our production meeting mm-hmm. and in the first day of rehearsals with the cast. Uh, the director Chris brought up that now that the Me Too movement is mm-hmm. so strong and mm-hmm. prevailing, and it's great. But this piece is tough on women and mm-hmm. so we were discussed that and mm-hmm. I think uh, they're gonna even in the Q&A sessions that Christopher does after uh, every performance mm-hmm. they're they're ready to address that and somehow uh, it's not uh, and we made a point that we're not going to revise we're not going to change the way the opera is done mm-hmm. it is what it is mm-hmm. but uh, people will be ready to discuss you know what what that means. That's so wonderful because, you know, opera is a part of history Mm -hmm. and it's, it's what it is. And so discussing why the whys and wherefores and where we're moving toward, what we're moving toward, that's great. Because they, someone brought up uh, in the production meeting, because there had been recently in Europe, a production of Carmen Mm -hmm. because of the Me Too movement. They changed it around. They had Carmen kill Jose. Oh, for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. And huh. I, I think that misses the point somehow. you still got a theatrical piece. And let's, right. let's present it. Yeah. It's uh, tricky, right? Because someone created a piece of art, and yes. it's not really ours to right. tamper with on the one hand, but yet, of course, many, many productions I've been involved with, and you also, in which they make those shifts. It's intriguing. So I think it's yeah. hopeful in the sense that, yeah, at least people are talking about that. Yeah, thinking right. about those things. You must, I mean, experience that being in theater. Yes, well, the, lots, uh, yeah, and various productions that are get a cease and desist. They decide to try something and, and they say, nope, we don't want that character to be a man. That is a woman or vice versa, you yeah. know, and just kind of pushing the envelope, testing the waters about how we're really changing, you know. There's room for lots more wonderful work. Yeah. <laughs> And then one more question. What do you crave in your life? 
some kind of food, experience, anything. <laughs> well, after a performance, I'm usually craving pasta, that's a, oh. which is not good as I get older. I don't, Does the food you crave burn reflect it off. the language of the piece you're working on? I, that Well, that definitely happens. When I see a Martin Scorsese film, uh-huh. like Goodfellas, yes. I want lasagna bolognese right after, because oh. there are these huge scenes where they're bringing out these... I'm very mm. easily oh. uh, influenced by imagery. Me yes. too. I see, yes. you know, yeah. something Japanese. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have Japanese food right now. <laughs> How about you, Katrina? Um, I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, one thing that I think I always crave on, on every project is that I, uh, I love the collaborative aspect. And so whenever you're working with people that are just lovely people to work with, like I was working with both of you when we did Sweeney Todd, you mm. know, that project meant so much to me because of all the people involved. And mm-hmm. I think this project feels very similar. We have a great cast of people. It's been wonderful working together. It's been easy in the room to, you know, to talk about it, to talk about things like the Me Too movement and to talk about the piece and to um, throw ideas around. And mm-hmm. And I feel like we, we really are working together collaboratively. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always look for in an ideal project. So and that's, that's it's, it's uh, again, it's a pleasure because now uh, we've done, uh, Katrina and I have done three or four shows together, but mm. Stephen Powell, who plays Rigoletto, and Barry Banks mm. are both friends and colleagues I've known for over 20 years. Mm, that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. There'll be lots of nice dinners. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And all pleasure. best. Looking My pleasure. forward to seeing yeah. Rigoletto. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs>